Passionate, driven, enthusiastic, euphoric. This is who we are as entrepreneurs. But how we leverage these incredible attributes to dream and build businesses that scale and grow is what this podcast is all about. Hello, I'm attorneypreneur Josh Brown, and welcome to Franchise Euphoria. Today's episode is all about systems creation and integration, the who, what, when, where, why, and how. Hello, everyone. Josh Brown here, along with Rick Day, to help guide us through the systems issues that so many entrepreneurs struggle with. Rick is a business coach, investor, and serial entrepreneur. He really is the real deal. Rick founded, built, and sold a $26 million telecommunications company. The company was one of the largest on the West Coast and the only to have both U.S. and Mexican nationwide authorizations. As CEO, he oversaw all aspects of the business, built a top-level management team, assembled an outside board of directors, and re-engineered the business through many market changes and challenges from 1992 through 2009. In 2008, Rick positioned the company for sale, and the company was acquired thereafter. Rick's specialties are in leadership, sales, and marketing, strategic planning, organizational design, compensation plans, financial management, and exit strategies. He also has a great website called businessbyday.com where he helps entrepreneurs scale their businesses. He also hosts a great podcast called Business By Day Podcast where he it's these quick five-minute uh, tidbits that are really, really valuable. Hello, Rick, and welcome. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. It's uh, really uh, a great Monday. It is a great Monday, right? Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to come on to uh, the Franchise Euphoria podcast and really kind of impart some of your knowledge and wisdom and experience that you've gained over the years of actually doing things in business. I mean, today we have limited time, so I want to really dive in and discuss the systems creation and integration for businesses. And I know sort of in the spirit of, of Simon Sinek, who's incredible book, Start With Why. I'd love to ask you why creating systems for a business is so vital to long-term success. Wow. Well, really great question. Uh, and I'd like to just go back to the intro real quick to you. Uh, we were um, an Avaya business partner. So we were the largest Avaya business partner on the West Coast, meaning that we sold, we designed, we sold, we installed large business phone systems. And we had some amazing uh, big, big customers across the U.S. So, uh, And that kind of leads into your question, which is when you're dealing with big companies like Geico or Mutual of Omaha or Walmart or Intel, you know, you need to be able to produce replicable results. They need to, they need to be able to count on you to, uh, to to really deliver your product or service again and again and again. And it's got to be consistent and something that they can count on. And I think that really becomes the why and the root of all of this system systematization. Uh, systems talk <laughs> and uh, and what I would call organizational design. So um, I think that's the why. Now, did you know when you first launched, uh, you know, your first business, did you understand or value the systems process? I mean, I know just as an example for myself and for a lot of entrepreneurs, 
you know, it's hard when you're just getting going to, to value those systems because, quite frankly, you just don't even know what you're doing at that point. You're trying a lot of different things. And so was it something that you learned to value over time or it became a necessity? Or did you go into the business understanding that this was an important and vital thing to set up? No, I, it's it, it, absolutely not. I, I think most people get into a business because they know how to do something or to offer some product or service. And you don't think anything about scalability. So, I mean, the quick answer is absolutely not. And until I read Michael Gerber's book, The E-Myth Revisited, um, you know, then I began to understand, oh, gosh, this is what I've been missing in my business. So, um, And then I just implemented a lot of those tools. And, and that's really when things took off for us. Yeah, I mean it's a it's an interesting thing. I love I love Michael Gerber's book. That was actually the um that was probably the first entrepreneurial book that I read many many years ago and it just fundamentally changed my thinking. I mean it just it it really had that kind of an impact and I've heard from many people, many successful people like yourself that that it sort of had that same impact and it's that whole notion of, of I think you know you you read it and you 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 relate it so much to your experiences where, you know, you start a business and you have these dreams of creating a, a successful business. And then you find yourself just in the weeds in the business and trying to, <laughs> trying to dig your way out. Well, I mean, what would you say in the spirit of Michael Gerber? I mean, what would you say would be a first step that if you're kind of caught in that, in the weeds of your business right now, how do you get the time and the clarity to take that first step and start implementing a system so that you can slowly but surely take yourself out of the day-to-day aspects of the business and work on the business instead of only in the business? Yeah, you know, that's that's a great question. In fact, what you just said about working on the business instead of in the business is, is, is a, 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 I think, a cliche that is is overused many times, but it's so, so valuable. So there's there's a reason for it. And so the first thing I, I think that I would recommend someone do is really step back and and think about their business, not in terms of the, the people that they have or the functions, um, you know, or, or the jobs that they do during the day, but think about their business as a whole. And I, and I kind of visualize it from left to right. My business, you know, just like we read, um, you know, my business starts off with marketing. I have to let people know that I'm out there. And so what's involved in that and who runs that part of my business? And it might be just that one person. Um, and then the next thing that evidently, you know, hopefully that converts into sales. And then once you get a sale, now what? You, you've got to perform your work. You've got to provide your product. And that becomes an operations department. And then when that's all finished, you build a customer. So that rolls into finance. And, and then you've got kind of administration and, and human resources that overlays everything. And so if you sort of visualize your business as a company, and if you're if it's just you, well, then you're wearing every single one of those departmental hats, if you will. Uh, and, and that's how I really got started. And, and that's how I encourage other people to look at it, too. And then when somebody comes in, then you can say, OK, well, I'm going to give you this hat and this hat. And here's how I do it. And then you start developing those procedures. Well, I love how you talk about the cliche of working on the business and in the business, because I completely agree. I think it's one of those things where, you know, if it was that easy to do, everybody would do it would have done it already, right? I mean, how many business books out there talk about that? But the reality is, doggone it, I mean, it is hard to do. I mean, I know, you know, in my own business and my own businesses, it's something that's difficult to do. And one thing that I've learned that I never could have learned through reading any book, but just by doing, is that 
myself as the entrepreneur may not be the best person to actually implement those systems. Yeah, I sort of need to uh, be the leader in getting those developed, but it takes, I think, a certain kind of person who's really good at that. I'm curious your thoughts on that, because as entrepreneurs, if you're looking at the more traditional type of entrepreneur, they're much more vision focused than they are on the day-to-day breakdown of a system and a process. I'm curious what you think about that and who actually is the right person to implement the system in a business. Well, it's it's a great question. Um, there's another um, cliche that hopefully isn't too overused that I believe in, which is that you should always um, you should always play to your strengths and you should always hire to your weaknesses. And so if you don't have the, the discipline or the capability to sit down and look at your business as a, as a complete entity, as a company, um, and, and sort of you know, lay out that roadmap, if you will, then you should hire a coach or a consultant or someone to help you with that portion of it. Um, but one of the other shortcuts that I learned building my business, too, was that I didn't have to sit there and write the procedures for every single position in every single department and write a mission statement for every single department and for the company and all that. So I started off with the high level stuff. Here's why we're in business. Here's what we believe in, you know, the mission statement, the value statement. And then when it came to the different departments, you know, I did the marketing department and the sales department and operations and so on. And I just drew these little boxes. And when it was just me, my name was in every box. But then I'd hire somebody to come in. I think the first person that I hired actually was a part-time bookkeeper. So I said, okay, when she came in, her name was Mary. And I said, Mary, when, when you start doing this, this is what I've been doing. So let's sit down and, and let's jot down these procedures together during this initial training process. And then as we learn and as we grow, I need you to keep this document updated so that if something were to happen to you or you moved on or we hired another person, then that other person could come in and be able to fill in and say, oh, well, here's how they do this. And you have almost a, it, it becomes your operations manual. So you don't have to do all the work yourself. You know, I use the, the new personnel training method, uh, or that, that's how I built the procedures and, and the employee manual. So now with your bookkeeper, with Mary, I think that's a really good example because I think, you know, whenever you're at a point in your business where you want to try to scale it, you've got to think about bringing in who is that next key person to bring in. I'm curious your philosophy on that because I, I find that different entrepreneurs have different philosophies. You know, some would say, okay, bring in the bookkeeper and the bookkeeper only does bookkeeping. Others might say, I'm going to find out the, the total value that this bookkeeper might add because she might be able to plug some holes in these other areas and then you can almost get you know more bang for your buck from that perspective. I'm curious your thinking in that because I think it's one of those fine detail issues, but it affects a lot of people because a first hire for a business is huge, right? And I mean, you know, and I'm just curious your thoughts on how you utilize that first hire. Well, I, I think it's so I think a lot of it's a great question. I think a lot of people really start with a bookkeeper because most of us are not accountants by trade. I mean, you're an attorney. I'm I was just a business generalist and came from sales. So, you know, doing the books, it being a very specific and detail oriented job usually is is one of the first people, you know, that that they hire or that entrepreneurs hire. Um, I've always been careful 
about um, higher, you know, sort of creating positions or creating work for people based on their capabilities. And I generally advise against that. What I usually do is look at the needs of the company and hire the specific best, specifically the best person that I can for that that position's needs. So I let the company's needs drive who I hire and where I put them, not the other way around. So if Mary came in and could do the books and she said, hey, I also like to dabble in marketing, I would say, well, that's great, Mary, but why don't you focus on books? And then I'm still in charge of marketing at this very early stage. And if you want to help, that's great. But um, I, I usually, I would always let the company's needs dictate the person that I hired. Oh, so I love that. I think that's a great point because I hear the theme through that is basically you as the owner have to prioritize what is the most important function that you need to fill next, right? I mean, there's a um, there's a great book. I don't know if you've read this, Rick. It's called um, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. Have you heard of that book? No, no, but it sounds fascinating. Uh, oh, you got to get it. It's awesome. It's a uh, The author's name is Greg, and, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, McEwen, M-C-K-E, I think W-O-N. Amazing book, but it, it talks about how, and you can relate it to uh, business, life in general, but the most successful people are really pursuing less, but they've done an amazing job at prioritizing what's actually essential versus non-essential. And one of the things I see, and but it's also difficult to do, is trying to categorize yourself as an entrepreneur. Okay, what is the next most important thing that I can do for my business? Bookkeeping is obviously huge. Um, and so, you know, I think that in, in what you said, that's what I really take from that. And I really, really like that point because I think when people are thinking about scaling, that's one of the first things they have to do is sort of write out on a piece of paper what their priorities are as a business. Where is the next step they're going to take? I mean, is that the process that you take people through with your coaching and with your programs? Uh, it, it really is. In fact, I was working with a student uh, a couple of months ago, and uh, it, she's really, really quick. And, and so she started a spreadsheet, and actually a whole Excel workbook. And across the bottom of the workbook, she had different tabs. And those different tabs were for the different departments that we talked about, the marketing, the sales, the production, blah, blah, blah. And then in each one of those tabs, she had a list of the responsibilities of, uh, in her particular business, what needs to happen. And so she's got three people involved in her business. And I said, okay, so next to each one of these tasks, in each one of these departments, I want you to put the initial of the person who's in charge of that. And she did. And in the finance tab, for example, she had one of, you know, her, her, uh, one of her other employees and she had his initials in two things, and she had her initials in six, but in, in none of those different procedures were there both initials. In other words, they were very clear and crisp on who was doing which task, right? And then I went to the sales piece, and she had, in, on that particular tab, and she had her initial, and a second initial, and a third initial. And I said, okay, so you've you've basically assigned responsibility for that task to all three people in your business. So how are you going to split that up? And she goes, gosh, I don't know. You know, we're all involved in everything. And I said, yeah, but somebody's got to be responsible for it, you know, and, and have accountability for it. And so the question, which comes back to yours was, how do I know what to delegate first? How do I know where to hire next? And I said, so I want you to rank each one of these procedures that you think all three of you are involved in on from one to five, one, you hate to do it, 
and you're really not that good at it, to five, you're an expert, you love it, it's your passion, rank each one of those. And then in the next meeting that we had, we took all the ones and the twos. And I said, how do you remove yourself from that situation? So how do you you know, back out of those particular areas where you're, where you're not really great and you don't really like to do it so that you can focus on the things that you really do like to do. And I think it was just kind of a cool tool that we used, uh, but it really opened her eyes to where she needed to hire next, who she was going to put in charge of what tasks and so on. So is that really your focus? I mean, are you, are you working with entrepreneurs who are kind of, who are at that point where they do want to grow, where they are ready to take that next step, but they're, maybe they're, maybe it's a confidence issue. Maybe they're just not, they don't, they don't fully know what to do and they need sort of that outside independent objective um, presence someone like yourself who's been there, done it. I mean, almost like an outside advisory board is what it seems like like you're doing, which which seems to be, boy, very, very valuable for somebody who's looking to take their business to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. My specialty really is, you know, I remember those days of starting and and then hiring Mary and then hiring my first guy to ship, you know, pack and ship boxes. And, and you know, I, I struggled so much trying to figure out how do I grow, who do I hire? And so my specialty really is that, that that person or that small team of people that might have two or three or five people and they've got some revenue, they've got some customers and they just don't know, they're all kind of doing a little bit of everything. And it's like, well, guys, you've got to divide that up. And, and if you've got any holes then we need to hire to fill those holes. And so to get them to see the overall organizational design and actually grow a business because, you know, at the end of the day, as a CEO or as a business owner, you ultimately want to work yourself out of the business to where you all you have to do is make strategic decisions and you do a lot of networking and a lot of brand building and you go in and you shake your customers' hands and thanks very much for doing business with my company. But, um, you know, that's when a, a company really has the most value is when the CEO or president can be replaced. No, I mean, I think that's so true. And I think that, you know, we all know there's no shortcuts in business, but... Um sometimes they're smart cuts. I think there's a book that was just, uh, I can't remember the author's name, but it, it really is, it's called Smart Cuts. And he, he basically takes a look at not only entrepreneurs, but politicians and other people in various, in various roles and how they have somewhat shortcutted the process to ultimate success, but done it in a very shrewd, smart way. And part of that is, is from learning from others. I'm curious when you, when you first started uh, your telecom business, I mean, did all this stuff come natural to you or did you, did you learn from the school of hard knocks? Well, uh, a little bit of both. So the answer is no, it didn't come naturally to me. In fact, I remember getting advice from one of my mentors before I started my business. And I said, uh, his name was Raleigh. And I said, Raleigh, I don't know enough to be a CEO. Maybe I should go work in a larger company and get some management experience. And he said, absolutely not. Just go do it and you'll figure it out. So I did that, but um, I read a lot of books. You know, I read The E-Myth Revisited. I, I read, you know, From Good to Great. There were a number of books that I thought were really good. The other thing that I did was I joined um, a, a CEO roundtable group. Uh, the first one that I was in was sponsored by the Chamber of Commerce locally. But I believed in reaching out to my peers and also having some coaching, uh, you know, but high level stuff where I could get out of my day to day stuff, work on my business with these other people that were working on their businesses. And so I think having those mentors, uh, maybe that board of advisors, that that uh, CEO group that you go to, absolutely crucial. 
See, I love that. I don't know if you know, Rick, I don't know if you know Omar and Nicole from the $100 MBA. Do you know them? I, I sure no, I don't. Uh, check out the hundred dollar MBA. I think it's the hundred dollar MBA dot net. But um, it, it, what you just said reminded me of Omar because he went um, a while back. I, I interviewed him a couple shows back. Really fascinating guy. I interviewed uh, uh, Omar and Nicole, but um, they have this podcast and this business called the hundred dollar MBA. Well, Omar was accepted and started. I think it was the Wharton School of Business, which is you know. Most people would regard that as the top sort of business school. And Absolutely. He, he gets in and he goes, and within his first semester, one of his professors says, so what do you want to do when you're done with this MBA? He was going to get his MBA. He said, well, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to go start this business. I'm going to do this. And he said, you know, come meet me in my office. So Omar goes and meets him in his office, and he says, let me give you the best piece of advice that you're going to get. And he said, what? He said, you need to drop out of this school. I'm going to give you a list of 25 books that you need to read, and you need to go be an entrepreneur. And, right. and he said, well, what do you mean? And the professor said, you don't get your MBA to be an entrepreneur. You get your MBA to go be you know, upper management in a corporation or work in the corporate structure. Don't waste your time and money. Go and do it and just learn from doing that. I mean, isn't that incredible? Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, it's certainly, uh, I, I, you know, I can't knock people that really want to go get an MBA, but, but from a, you know, my degree is, is from in finance and it's just a BS degree in finance. But when, when you look at the cost of an MBA and you're both in, in opportunity cost and, and the time that you spend working, you know, on your MBA and studying, what could you have learned in two years in the workforce? And then the cost, the financial cost of that MBA, you know, how long is it going to take you to earn a, a good return on investment? You know, unless you're going to go after some, you know, fantastic six-figure job and, you know, then I would say absolutely just start your business and get after it and, and, uh, and work hard. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought it was just interesting advice, especially from a professor at the school. But I think it really, you know, hits on the point of, of identifying, look, if you're going to go down this road, you may not need to get your MBA right now. You know, an MBA is a great thing, but if you're looking to go down this path, that might not be the the best fit. So really interesting stuff. I think that um, you, you have a great program called Accelerate 120. I'd like for you yeah. to take a couple minutes and talk about that because I think that'll be of interest to the entrepreneurs listening in that are at that point where they want to take their business to the next level. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So, um, so what I did there was, um, you know, I talked earlier about having been a member of peer groups and, uh, I, I really enjoyed that. And, and it was really crucial, I think, to my success, uh, with Daycom systems was to be in a group called tech at the time. And now it's Vistage International. And so what I wanted to do was take that peer advisory group, uh, concept with you know some of my business experience and coaching and put together a group of, of uh, business owners and people who had started their own businesses and they've got some revenue and they really want to grow and and put them together in an online format so it's geography independent so it, all you've got you know I can be anywhere because I love to travel now and and I travel a lot more than I used to um, you know but it doesn't matter whether I mean I've got students in Rhode Island and, and Kansas and San Diego, obviously. And I had one student that joined from Spain. And so with the, you know, with the capabilities that we have with the internet, it doesn't really matter where you are. It's just an online class where we all meet on Google Hangouts or GoToMeetings. And then I gave each one of them one-on-one uh, -on -one time. And so really what comes out of that is uh, they develop a really tight-knit group of, of friends, if you will. They encourage each other and help each other. 
And then there are also solutions that come from, you know, a photographer or a copywriter or an app developer um, or a digital media expert. And so they, they have their own, their own solutions that they can offer to the group that I didn't even know about. And then I can kind of overlay the whole thing with my management expertise and and decision making, uh, you know, systems and things like that. So uh, it's been it's been really really fun, and I'm looking to roll out a couple more classes. Well, I love that because it combines your expertise along with the value of collaboration. I mean, I know our mutual friend Jared Easley always talks about collaboration, has a book on it, and you can just get places faster, further where you want to go uh, through the collaboration. That's the beauty of those mastermind type businesses is, you know, you may take people who are all in completely different businesses, but they're all going through the same kind of process and they're going to learn a ton from you, but they're going to learn probably just as much or more from just hearing what other people are going through. Yeah, absolutely. There's an empathy there that, uh, you know, it's, it, it, there's the old saying that it's lonely at the top and it absolutely is. And so to be in a group of other people who know what you're dealing with and they know how you feel every day, uh, it, it's, it's great. And then also when you, in, in our particular group setting, when you say, well, I'm going to make these changes before the next call, it's almost embarrassing, like a personal trainer, if you, if you come back and you haven't made the changes and people kind of look at you like, what are you doing? So there's an accountability factor uh, and, and, a, and a, a kindred spirit factor that comes out of this group that it's hard to duplicate anywhere else. No, I love that. And, and I think your, your current offering for the course is sold out. When are you next going to offer a sign-up period? I was going to do it right after the beginning of the year. So I'll start marketing for that here in the next month or so, uh, try to fill up another class um, or maybe even two uh, by, uh, you know, so we can start fresh in January. Well, so I want the audience, Rick, before we finish up here, and, and thank you so much. I think this has been a great, great interview with you. I really appreciate uh, you coming oh, no. on. I My pleasure. To, I want to get to, know, get to know you a little bit better on a personal level. So I've got a series of five questions that I'm going to ask, and I just want you to respond with the first thing that comes to mind. Does okay, that sound we all right? Be, sure. Better be careful on this one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it'll be Absolutely. Fun. Okay. What's the most important business or other discovery that you have made in the last year? That you it, that everything starts with a vision. And so I, I was explaining this to somebody recently. You got to go from a vision to sort of a, a strategy then and then develop your tactics and then start with your action. But you got to have a vision. You have to really sit down and think about where you want to go and, and what it's going to look like. What is one word you would use to describe yourself as a child? Explorer. <laughs> I love that. I haven't heard that one yet. Okay. <laughs> Fill in the blank. If you really knew me, you'd know... That I care deeply about what I do. What characteristic do you most admire in others? Thinking big. And finally, given one choice, would you rather be liked or respected? Respected. All right. Well, there you go. That wasn't so bad, was it? <laughs> no, no. It's it's it's. Uh, it was good. It was a lot of fun. I love hearing the answers to those questions. And uh, seriously, Rick, I really appreciate it. Thank you again for taking the time to to come on here, um, you know, where is the best place for people to get a hold of you? Uh, it's just, uh, go on to the website, businessbyday.com. They can, they can learn a little bit about me. Uh, there, you can see the podcast. Um, I've got, I think 47 or so, almost 50 blog posts on various different types of things, or my email address is rick at businessbyday.com. 
Well, thank you so much. Look forward to following your continued successes and thank you for sharing a little bit today. Josh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us today on the Franchise Euphoria podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to go to iTunes and provide a review. Also, please remember that although Josh Brown is a licensed and practicing attorney, nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as legal advice, because it is not. The information contained in this podcast is general and educational in nature, and none of it should be relied upon as legal advice. That being said, if you have questions for Josh and would like to contact him, please email him at josh at franchiseeuphoria.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you tune in to our next weekly episode.